1: well hey i uh excuse me i didn't get a, a chance to uh to be here last week uh, i was I was uh over on the other side of the city uh, in Gehana uh, at Three Creeks church. Uh, I believe most of you know that that we have uh we have helped uh, start Three Creeks Church, and so I was at their, their one-year birthday party. We, we sent uh, uh, many people that we love and care about over to Gehanna a little over a year and a half ago uh, to start Three Creeks, and so I was just in full-on soccer dad mode, as I promised I would be, right? Maybe, maybe you were here a couple weeks ago. We filmed a video of us singing happy birthday, and I was able to show that to them and just congratulate them, uh, tell them that we love them, uh, and honestly, it was, it was just a great reminder uh, to, to be there. Uh, we want to be a church that plants life-giving churches, and, and so it was just a neat reminder to see what God has done. Uh, there were over 190 people there. Uh, and so it, it's cool to just see the blueprint that God gave us in the book of Acts, that churches should start churches that start churches. It was, it was neat to see that that works, that God blesses it. Uh, and, and so uh, I hope that, hope that you're aware of, of your part in that. I hope that uh, in, a, in a nice, humble way, you're, you're proud of yourself uh, for, for, for what we've done. Uh, you, you have spiritual family in Gehenna, and, and you have a church that you've helped start. Uh, and they say thank you. And so it was so cool to, uh, to be with them last week. Uh, well, well, speaking of uh, family, uh, I, uh, my, my wife has been traveling all week. Uh, she's she's in, uh, in Europe with the, the rock star siblings touring around. I like to send her away about once a year just to see if I'm still a competent father. I'm not, if you're wondering, uh, but I, I think if you're, if you're a dad in the room or, and you, uh, you've wondered, uh, should I be able to, uh, to send my wife away for a few days? Yes, you should. This is my guilt trip to you, all right? So you should be able, you should be able to do your daughter's hair. You should be able to make breakfast. You should be able to do everything uh, that we all know you can't do. And sometimes you just need a yearly crash course. So uh, I wanted to uh, give you guys a list of things that I've learned this week. Uh, first of all, something I haven't learned, and uh, I'm not kidding about this, I still don't know where we keep our potholders. Um, remember been two times that I, I was getting things out of the oven, and I thought, this is not going to end well, right? And so I just used a towel from the pool because that's what we do at our house, right? So uh, that, had that had that happen. Uh, today is, uh, is uh, Zion, our youngest birthday, and she got an Elsa uh, costume, and she said she wanted to wear it, and I said, all right, you do you. So I don't know if that's something that a good parent would do, but we're rocking an Elsa costume today. Um, I... Uh, I've realized that uh, working out is a privilege and not one that I enjoyed much this week. Um, I I got to go once when my my parents came down and saved me for a little bit. And uh, I've also realized... Uh, that, that, that laundry is kind of a, kind of the, the straw that breaks the camel's back. So at the end of the day, I would, I would think I'm like doing some good stuff and I'd get to laundry and I was like, you win again, laundry, right? There was, a, there was a basket that was in my bedroom and I was supposed to fold it for three days and I just kept, I was like, I can't do it. And I woke up yesterday and Canaan uh, said, dad, we folded the laundry for you. And I was like, oh, you did? And Malachi said, actually, I did, dad. He's just taking credit. And I was like, okay, well, Nonetheless, I love you, and so we, we figured it out. We're surviving. Kristen will be home uh, tomorrow. We've been eating on a lot of gift cards, so, so life is good. So, uh, hey, anyway, uh, this, is, this is week four. This is the final week uh, in this series, I'm Not Okay. Uh, this is a conversation that we've wanted to have uh, about mental health, and the reason that we've said and, and titled this I'm Not Okay is because we want you to know that it's, it's okay to not be okay, and it's okay to admit that you're not okay, that you're not feeling okay. Okay, uh, this, this has been uh, honestly the, the most talked about, the most uh, responded to series that we've done in church history, whether it's been uh, feedback that we've gotten of people having incredible conversations in their movement groups, or uh, even if we're looking at some of the metrics of things we do on social media, people are sharing this. And so if, if this series has impacted you, if, if you think that maybe you could share this with someone you love, those uh, podcasts are available on iTunes and, and Spotify, and you can find them on our website, uh but it has been fun to, to journey together. For some people, this is a struggle that, that they're struggling with. For for others, they're they're thinking of it through the lens of, of someone that they love. Uh and obviously this is a pretty expansive topic. It's a big topic, not something that we thought that we could tackle in four weeks. But I, I hope and I trust that this has at least scratched the surface and uh and helped you grow a little bit. So uh we want to continue today and build on the foundation that we've, uh, we've seen these last few weeks. We've talked through a lot of different things. We've talked through abuse and, and circumstances. We've talked through traumatic loss and, and different things. And last week we talked through doubt. And so uh today we want to uh just cue up a real easy softball topic called anxiety, right? Should be should be fun to go there together. No, I I don't mean to to make light of that, but this has been a a heavy series, and we want to continue to talk about uh just some of the things that we think God wants to show us. And so if you've if you've got a Bible, uh we're gonna be in a passage today, Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 to 46. If you don't have a Bible, there's actually one under your chair there. Uh, you'll see one right, right around you there on the floor. That's that's a Bible that we put out, the New Living Translation, easily readable. And uh, if you don't have a copy of God's Word or if you like that copy of the Bible, we would love for you to take that with you today, take that home and have that to study and read. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 to 46. Most of you probably know that the Bible contains two testaments: the Old Testament and, and the New Testament. The New Testament uh, tells us the the story of the life and ministry of Jesus, specifically the Gospels. The first four books they cover his life and ministry, and death and burial and resurrection. And uh, we know and we trust that Jesus was sent. For, for a purpose, he was the son of God, fully God, and fully man. He was 100% God and 100% man. And I realize that that is hard for us to wrap our minds around sometimes. But in this passage we're going to look at today, these final chapters of Matthew, we can see both of those things on display at the same time as we look at his death on the cross. And so Jesus is going to be having an interaction here with his inner circle, the 12 disciples, and they don't really understand what's going on. He's saying, hey, this is about to happen. Hey, this is about to happen. And they just didn't understand. They didn't believe him. And it's almost like they were, they were in the movie, but didn't realize the, the plot that was going on. And so in chapter 26, this verse is that we want to look at today. Jesus is having the, the now famous Last Supper with his disciples. And so after the, the, the supper, there's that timeline of his betrayal and death and burial and resurrection. And so leading up to this, he knows what's about to happen because he's all knowing, right? He knows what's around the corner. He knows what's coming and he's beginning to feel the weight of that. He's beginning to feel the, the, just the, the magnitude of something that has been, been waiting on him and something that his whole life has been building toward these 33 years that he had lived on earth. And so it's amazing that the disciples uh, couldn't couldn't figure this out, but looking back, I'm sure we can read into this story and say, yeah, there's there's something different. He's he's acting different. And so Jesus and the disciples have the last supper and then they go to the garden together. So let's read this together. And so on page 757, Matthew 26, verses 36. To 46, it says this, Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. We shared a simple definition of mental health a couple of weeks ago. It's uh, described as various disorders in which a person's thoughts, emotions, or behaviors are so abnormal as to cause suffering to themselves or to other people. And I think we're, we're kind of seeing a, a snapshot of this as we see someone who's fully God and fully man deal with the weight of their thoughts and, and what's going on in their life. The effects and the weight of sin in a fallen world can sometimes be crushing. They can cause anguish they can cause distress, as we see in those verses. And mental health isn't this new invention. But I think sometimes we're putting phrases and words and admitting things that have been going on since the the fall of man, since sin entered this world, and and since this this world uh, became what it is. For some, for some of us, we're just now beginning to to realize these things and and read this back. And so, the reason that people suffer, the reason that we see others suffer, is because sometimes we're just suffocated. And crushed by the weight of our thoughts and our sin and the anxiety that, that accompanies them. And even Jesus had this struggle. Now, he was without sin, which is why he could die on the cross and be the sacrifice for our sins. He was the perfect sacrifice, and yet we see him beginning to take on the weight of our sin knowing that sin separates us from God, knowing that God for a moment would have to turn his face from him and knowing that that exchange was going to happen and that he was going to die, you could see him taking on the agony of every person who has ever lived, every person who would live and every sin that would ever be committed and the shame that we carry with those things. And so Jesus is adjusting to that. He's he's dealing with that. We see him beginning to to look at the road ahead and, and realize the anxiety and the turmoil in these next hours. And so he says, I'm going to go pray. He doesn't say, it will be all right, friends. God is in control. He doesn't say something fake or something trite. He knows that he's still coping with this agony and with these thoughts, but he's looking to God and not running from God's plan. He's he's showing real emotion. Let's go back to verse 39. It says this, He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. We see Jesus again, realizing what is ahead. He's willing to talk through it, but humanly speaking, I'm sure that he's not excited about it. In fact, he says, God, if there's another way, if you want to remove this cup of suffering, if there's something else that can happen, something else that you can do, I won't argue about that. And I kind of wonder about the, the precedent of that. In the Old Testament, we know that, that there was a man named Abraham that, that God said, I'm going to make your family into a great nation. I'm going to multiply your people. And God told Abraham and Sarah that he would give them a son. And for a long time, they didn't have a son. And when they finally got a son, God said, hey, I want you to take your son up on this mountain and, and sacrifice him. And Abraham probably wasn't excited about that, but he, he went through with that. He looked at that and he said, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow God. And right before he was going to do that, God provided another animal in another way. And he said, no, 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 I was, I was testing your faith. I was seeing if you would follow me. You don't have to sacrifice your son. And so there's even this kind of precedent where God might say, hey, a son's gonna be sacrificed. And then he might say, all right, there's, a, there's another option here. There's another way. And so I wonder if Jesus was thinking of that or had that precedent in his mind. And so he's asking, can this be removed from my plate, and, and yet it doesn't look like it's, it's going to be. Verse 40 says this, then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. That's a powerful statement. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. There are many people in this room, many of us, who would say that we have, we have given our lives to Jesus, that we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, that we're being, we're, being, we're being surrounded by the Holy Spirit. We live our lives being guided by him. And yet there are moments that our bodies, our minds, our anxiety are not on the same page that, that God is, is calling us toward. Right, We would say, yeah, I know what I'm supposed to do. My spirit knows what I'm supposed to do, but I feel weak and my flesh is weak. And honestly, it seems kind of funny that Jesus has not just his, his main 12, but kind of those main couple guys with him and, and they're his people, right? Those are his guys and they're, they're falling asleep and, and they're not even really caring. And I'm sure you can see the agony and the defeat and the, the trauma and the stress and his body, and you can hear it in his voice, and yet they're not understanding this. And so they didn't just fail to empathize, but they failed to even stay awake and pretend that they care. And I, again, I think that this story is not a coincidence. I think that sometimes as we're going through things in life, as we're going through trauma, as we're going through grief, as we're going through depression, as we're going through anxiety and dealing with our fears, there, there will be moments that you feel abandoned. There will be moments probably that you feel like your people have turned their back on you or maybe even your inner circle doesn't really fathom what's going on in your life. Maybe your inner circle doesn't even really understand what you're going through, what you're processing and you're going to feel alone. You're going to feel like they've let you down. Verse 42 says this, then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping for they couldn't keep their eyes open. And I know what you're thinking, Mark, you already read that part where he went and prayed, God is there another way and his friends fell asleep. And yet, no, no, there's there's a pattern here, right? And so sometimes when you're going through trauma, when you're going through grief, when you're going through anxiety, when you're dealing with fears, you're going to feel like every day is just the same day. Maybe you're going to feel like different circumstances and emotions are just a pattern or just a cycle. And I think we see that as Jesus is processing what he's going through. But we're seeing some patterns here and some patterns that I think that we can learn from. Verse 44 says this. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, go ahead and sleep, have your rest. But look, the time has come. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. And they came to take him away. Jesus has continually looked to God in the face of paralyzing anxiety in this small excerpt. He's taken everything that he was living and dealing with and he's gone to God to talk about it. This story is also paralleled and told in the Gospel of Luke. And as Jesus prays, we see it in this story, we see it more in that story, but he says, pray that you will not fall into temptation as he's talking to those around him and as he's processing and as he's praying. And you wonder, what is that temptation that he's talking about? Well, he's saying, look to God and pray so that you won't be tempted. So that you won't be tempted to give up. Perhaps he's talking about giving up so that you won't be tempted to, to be overcome with grief and emotion and anxiety. So that you won't be tempted to think that you're enough or that you're able to be enough. There's all kinds of different applications there for the temptation that he's talking about. And we aren't told that all of a sudden things got bright and the sun came out and he said, I'm Jesus and everything's going to be great. The circumstances didn't necessarily change, but multiple times he took the weight of this, the anxiety of this. He took it to God and he said, God, here's where I am. It's not the only thing that he did a couple of times, but he asked God to, to take this away. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't change. The weight was, was still there. Sometimes I, I read passages and I think, well, yeah, but he was Jesus. So was the weight really there? I mean, was the anxiety there? Was it really this, this crushing thing? I don't, I don't think he probably knows anxiety. I mean, the guy couldn't even sin, right? So he was probably just pretending to be hurt or pretending to have some anxiety so that later on it would look good in this book. I think sometimes we think sarcastic thoughts like that. And here's what we're told in this passage. The, the other account in Luke says that there was a There was a time that Jesus was under so much anxiety that his sweat fell to the ground like drops of blood. And we hear that. Some of us think, yeah, I've gone running before and I've had some sweat fall, kind of like when someone's bleeding. And yeah, there are a lot of scholars that believe that this is interpreted incorrect. It's it's probably not cute imagery, they say. They say that there's an English translation here that loses its intent and its power. And many people believe that this could better be interpreted. He was sweating drops of blood that his, 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 his sweat fell to the ground like drops of blood or as they were drops of blood. And that sounds crazy because we think like, well, you can't sweat drops of blood. And yet there's a condition that, that's rare, but that exists when people are under enough trauma, when people are under enough stress, when they're under incredible amounts of duress. And it's called hematoidrosis. And so it's not this crazy made-up thing. It's not this, 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 this imagery that doesn't exist. There's a very real possibility that Jesus was bearing the weight of our sin and what was ahead of him and what was going on in his mind. And he was literally sweating drops of blood. We don't, we don't know that for sure, but here's what I do know, that scripture tells us that Jesus can empathize with our sin. And I believe that this account proves that. He was under the crushing weight of what was going on in his life because of what had gone on in our lives. And so being nervous, being overwhelmed, having anxiety, it's not a, it's not a sin. It's part of being a, a human, part of being a human in a fallen world. It's part of the reality of where we find ourselves. I read a quote this last week by an author named Lisa Tierkirst, and she said, sometimes to get your life back, you have to face the death of what you thought your life would look like. Sometimes we're so crushed by where our life is headed, and it's not how we would have designed it, it's not what we would have wanted, it's not how we would have dreamed things up, and it's nothing like the picture-perfect ending that we wanted. And, and so sometimes we just have to, to choose to say, yes, that's that's past, and I've let go of, of what I had dreamt, I've let go of whatever my current circumstance is. But guess what? Is our plan. Is unfolding, And as our life is unfolding, even though it doesn't look like what we thought it would look like, we can, we can feel things changing. And as the control that we all want dies, and as we release things to, to God, as we walk through an ordeal, as we walk through our emotions, as we walk through our anxiety and our stress and our duress, we can see God as our provider. We can see God as our sustainer. We can see him carrying us rather than the strong version of ourselves that we all try to be. The strong version of ourselves that's still never enough. We can see God carrying us and moving in us. And so here's something I want you to know today that anxiety is not a death sentence. Anxiety is not a death sentence. And suffering, although it's difficult, is not an excuse to give up because you can trust this. In the face of the worst suffering ever, the best person ever, still felt agony and grief. But through all of this, God did the best thing ever. The worst thing that ever happened, happened to the best person that ever existed, and God did something amazing through it. God entered into that agony and into this fight, and he changed history. Many of you know that we were created in the image of God, and We were created to know God and be in relationship with him. And yet sin enters our lives. We think that we know better. We think that we have our our own way and we turn our faces away from God. We walk away from God and we're separated from God because of that. There's a verse in Proverbs that says, a knowledge of God begins with fear. And that sounds weird, but there's a a natural way that we can can have a fear of God and even a a healthy fear of life. Some of us don't, don't really process what that looks like. But I think that begins with knowing that we're not in control and knowing that we're not writing our own story. Is that comfortable to admit that we're not in control and that we're not writing our own story? No. It's terrifying, it's exhausting, and it doesn't come natural to us. And yet life begins, knowledge begins, with the understanding of that fear. Eric already mentioned in that video that fear is a down payment on a problem you don't have? We're, we're kind of working ahead and, and getting worked up on something that's that's not even there. And so sometimes when we have anxiety, we just need to tell ourselves that God's promises are greater than our perhaps. Perhaps this will happen or this might happen or this could occur. And sometimes we're already thinking, well, it's going to occur and it has occurred and now it's in my life. And we let it take hold and take root in our heart and in our thoughts. And we're ignoring God's promises When we do that, here's the truth, guys. Fear and anxiety are a gift to us. I don't say that flippantly. I don't say that lightly, but they're a gift with with this design in mind because they provide us an opportunity for us to look to God. Our fear and our anxiety, the things that are going on in our heart and our mind and our life allow us to look to God if we choose to do that. Fear and anxiety—it's—it's it's putting our faith in the wrong things, but it also gives us a chance to trust the right thing. It also gives us a, a chance to trust the perfect thing. First John four seven and eight tells us that God loves us so much that that when when we're aware of His perfect love, when we're resting in His perfect love, when we know his perfect love, that fear will be taken out of our lives, that fear will be taken out of our hearts. And that's a constant struggle. That's a constant struggle to say, Lord, I'm looking to you. I'm trusting your promises. I depend on you. And the love of yours that I know and trust, the love that anchors my life is taking fear out of my life. It's casting fear out of my life and my heart and my mind. But we can walk through life because of Jesus's perfect love. We can trust in his perfect love. There's an exchange in, in scripture where we're told that faith can move mountains, right? If we, if we trust Jesus, if we know who Jesus is, if we know what he's doing, it can move mountains in our lives. And sometimes I think we think of, of these mountains that are far off and a big thing, like, oh, maybe, maybe God can, can help me get through college or maybe God can help me find a career. Or maybe God can reunite my family. And sometimes I think the mountain is actually us. Sometimes I think the mountain that needs moved is is in our own life and in our own heart and our own mind. And sometimes the mountain that our faith can move is our anxiety and our emotions. But we have to have faith that God can do that. We have to trust that he can do that. We have to look to God. We have to talk to God. We have to trust God. I think I've shared with you guys before that uh, I grew up in a pretty rural setting in a family of all boys. And so if I'm being completely honest, mental health was not something that was on the radar of my family. We, uh, we weren't allowed to wear Band-Aids because they were for weak people and we didn't talk about our feelings. And that's, that's just how my family was. Right, I think some of you have probably grown up in families like that or maybe known families like that. And so I remember uh, in 2011, as we were getting ready to announce that we were going to plant Movement Church, I was on staff at a large church. I had a great salary and some wonderful benefits and lots of friends and a and a great ministry. And I think people could have looked at that and said, like, oh, that's a happy guy, a successful guy. He's got a good thing going on. And, and yet I just felt this stirring in my heart that that we were supposed to, to start a, a church that would give life to people over here in, in Hilliard. And so we announced that, and that was cool, right? Hey, we're going to follow God. This is exciting. And then one night I was laying in bed, and I don't know what I was thinking about. Maybe the fact that I was giving up that salary, and we'd be fundraising a salary, and and someday we hoped that there would be a church that would exist that would maybe be able to buy us some groceries, but right now it didn't. So inevitably, if that money ran out, that that money would disappear, and my kids wouldn't have food to eat, and we wouldn't have a house, or we'd lose our house. And I don't know what I was processing, but I I was laying in bed, and none of... Nothing like this had ever happened to me, and I just started feeling like I couldn't breathe. And then I felt like I couldn't breathe some more, and then I thought, hey, I'm actually not breathing, right? So you have that moment where I'm looking over, and Kristen's next to me, and I'm like, well, I don't want to wake her up. Honestly, I probably should have if I thought I was dying. Breathing, pretty important thing, right? But, but I got up, and I'm like, all right, I'm just going to walk around the house, and I'm going I'm to walk this out, and we're going to be okay, and I, I had what... Uh, <laughs> what I had to finally admit, I guess you could call a panic attack or an anxiety attack. I was, I was letting my mind race ahead to things that weren't happening. I was letting my mind race ahead of God's promises. And I didn't look to him. I didn't talk to him. I didn't, I didn't trust him right in that moment. I just had to, had to deal with that. But over the next couple of weeks and months and even years, as I would lead what is now known as Movement Church, I had to come to that realization that that God is the one who provides for us and God is the one who loves us and God is the one who's gone before us and God is the one that we can lean on and look to and trust. And that's not lip service. That's not just something that looks good on a, on a T-shirt. That's something that, that pastors struggle with. That's something that elders struggle with. That's something that moms and dads and college students and career people and grandparents, that's something that people struggle with because we bear the weight of this fallen world. But it's not a sin to show emotion. It's not a sin to wonder what God is doing. I want you to know this today. Not all things are good, but God can bring good out of all things. What God is able to do in our lives, in our hearts, as we follow him and as we look to him, is nothing short of amazing. There are going to be events in your life that lead to fear and anxiety, and there's, there's no way that that can be avoided. But if we say that we're Christ followers, then we have to let him lead in all things. We have to look to him in all things. And even in situations that are full of anxiety, even in situations that we don't trust, even in situations that we don't know, we have to look to him. We see this wonderful example in Jesus and in this struggle that he's going through, this anxiety where he just says, Father, I'm looking to you. Father, I trust you. Father, I wanna to talk to you. I wanna lean on you. And I'm gonna have faith in this situation that you're going to accomplish something good. So instead of allowing anxiety to grip us and allow, instead of allowing anxiety to pull us into this place of worry and panic and despair, we should see anxiety as a gift that can point us to God. The question for us today is, is how is God asking you to depend on him in faith? It may be a decision for the first time. Maybe you never knew that Jesus loved you so much that he came and gave his life for you and took away the the punishment for your sin. The, the, The faith test here might be putting your faith and your trust and your hope in him for the first time. It might be putting your faith and your trust and your hope in him again, because he's bigger than the problem that you're having with your major he's bigger than the problem that you're having with your family he's bigger than the fact that you you've been looking for a new job and nothing's clicking he's bigger than the anxiety and whatever's going on in your life and he's asking you to look to him to talk to him and to trust him let's pray and I want to give you a chance to, to do that today God we want to be a church that trusts you we want to be people who trust you and so God this morning we are looking to you we are asking that you move in our hearts. God, we are asking that you, you draw us to yourself. Lord, I'm not sure who all is here today, but I believe there might be someone who realizes for the first time they've never said, Jesus, you, you, have my, you have my life. You have control of my life. You have my faith, and I'm looking to you. So God, I pray that you'll give them the courage for the first time to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want a relationship with you. I want you to take this anxiety and fear out of my life. And Lord, if you, if you don't, I'm still going to depend on you and walk this life with you. And Lord, there are people in this room that, that are again being reminded that they need to trust you and look to you. Lord, it might be infertility as Erica shared. It might be fostering and adopting. It might be a financial crisis. It might be being between jobs. It might be relationship woes. Lord, there are a lot of things that cause us anxiety and cause us to look ahead and cause us to worry. We don't want to look to anything else or anyone else other than you. So God, I pray this morning that we can just lay down our burdens at your feet, continually bring them to you, continually look to you, continually talk to you, and trust you as we see Jesus doing in the garden with his anxiety, with his fear. God, help us to be dependent on you. Thanks for bringing us together today. Thanks for letting us be your church. And God, I pray that we can support each other, that we can love each other that we can be given to you in faith. It's in your son's name. I pray. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to the movement church podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encourages you to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus. For More information about movement church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com.